Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 192, Smith vs. Span. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network and the host of several shows, including, of course, the Schillen and Duffy Show, which brings you the recaps right after these events. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Uh, we had we had a week off, so the UFC decides to hit us with a 15 fight card. <laughs> it's like, is it really a week off? But it's kind of like when you take time off from your job, and when you get there, just twice as much work is waiting for you. Yeah, it almost feels like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, as Keith alludes to, 15 fights on this card, and it's not just that it's a 15 fight card. It's that the UFC really, really wanted it to be a 15 fight card because Jim Miller fell off this card within the last four or five days. And rather than just let it drop to 14 and uh, push his opponent, uh, Nicholas Mata, off to, you know, uh, a couple weeks from now, they signed a brand new guy. So we're getting 15 fights come hell or high water. Thing I'll say about this card is, like, obviously it's going directly head-to-head with Bellator 266, uh, which is topped by uh, one of the better light heavyweight showdowns that promotion could put on in the form of Phil Davis versus Yoel Romero. Just quick question of the two main events, Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann, Phil Davis versus Yoel Romero, which do you think is a more important fight and which would you rather watch if you could only watch one? All right. So that's a tough one. It really is. So more important I would say the Bellator one because of, you know, Yoel Romero being, you know, prize acquisition, even though he's 40-something years old. Um, he is one of the stars. As far as what's a better fight and going to be more entertaining, like, can we just pretty much guarantee that Phil Davis versus Yoel Romero is going to be boring? I, I'm i with you there. Like, it, I, I there's, there's almost no way it's not terrible. Like, yeah. Yoel Romero is a serious like just wait, wait in fact i think you might have been the guy who pointed it out to me that if you're looking to counter and you're not fainting then you're just waiting he just waits <laughs> so so he his the only way this fight be you know becomes exciting is if your romero blitzes phil davis and knocks him out but as he ages and moving up away i mean moving up away class probably helps him but as he ages i think that those opportunities become less and less likely. I mean, I'm not going on a limb by saying that. I think that's pretty much the general consensus. As you get older, you're less likely to get more knockouts uh, when you're in your 40s. But, yeah, I just think that fight's going to be terrible. I, I agree. And, the, I mean, you won't find a bigger champion of Phil Davis than me. Like, I think he's a criminally underappreciated light heavyweight of his era. I think he's an awesome dude. I've really enjoyed the times I've gotten to speak to him. But, Phil Davis does not make adjustments between rounds. If he comes out and he wins the first round, he's probably going to win the fight. If he comes out and loses the first round, you unless his opponent gasses out, you know how this fight is going to turn out. Just Phil Davis is going to do what brought him to the dance. So I can see this being a fight where he like wins a crummy split decision by kind of landing three half-speed head kicks off of like Romero's yeah. guard, and those are the only memorable strikes of the round. Neither <laughs> guy even tries to wrestle, and we just all want to kill ourselves. And the reason why, so if I only have to pick one, the reason why I would actually go with Anthony Smith and Ryan Span is of the four fighters, who has the biggest future going forward? It's got to be Ryan Span. Now, I'm not, yes. I'm not saying I'm picking him, right? But 
if all right, if I if I was starting up an MMA organization, I could only sign one of these four guys. Spain's the guy I'm signing. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So that's probably what I, I I don't think it's you know if we put a poll up or you know sure I put a poll on their Facebook page or something like that or Twitter, I don't think Smith versus Spam would get more votes, but it would get my vote. No, I'm completely on board with you on this. We we seem to feel the same way about it. South of that main event, the floor falls out from under this card really, really quickly. We, we've talked about a couple of UFC cards this year as kind of feeling like leftovers night where, you know, it's just a kind of they, they threw together what they had and others that, you know, their Dana White Saturday Night Contender Series, like just a bunch of debuting fighters, a bunch of fighters that maybe debuted and haven't like actually won a fight in the UFC yet. This card's got all of that. But uh, we're we're going to dive in and give you your money's worth on on these nine fight prelims. Any other thoughts before we kick it off? Yeah, this is like this is when you go out to lunch and you decide to have pizza and you go to like the Pizza Hut buffet. Like you know it's not going to be that good, but you're just banking on like just a volume. Like okay, <laughs> like I I could go out on uh you know in Boston and get myself some really good Italian food, mm-hmm. or I could just go to Pizza Hut and just eat myself until I'm thrown up in the parking lot. Like, that's what this is. I'm completely with you on that. And having said that, I'm actually glad we're not previewing the Bellator card because that's like going to Chuck E. Cheese. It's like, this pizza's not good and this place smells like feet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, this kicks off with a strawweight matchup between Emily Whitmire and Hannah Goldie. Uh, Whitmire, the 30-year-old Oregonian, is an even 4-4 four and four in her professional career. She is 2-3 and three since joining the UFC out of, I believe, the 26th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, she comes into this on a two-fight losing streak, having been submitted by Amanda Hibas all the way back in June of 2019, and then Poliana Viana uh, last August uh, at UFC Fight Night Smith versus Rockich. So it's been just over a year since we've seen Spitfire... Or, yeah, Spitfire in, in the octagon. She is going to be meeting Goldie. The 29-year-old Floridian is 5-2 and two overall. She's 0-2 since joining the UFC out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, she beat Callie Robbins in June of 2019 to earn her uh, debut in the UFC. Since then, she has dropped unanimous decisions to Miranda Granger and Diana Belbitza. Uh, the Belbitza fight was just back this July, so uh, she's been quite a bit more active of late than Whitmire. Odds on this one are close. Uh, Whitmire is out there, minus 115 is the very slight favorite. Uh, Goldie, not quite available at even money that I see, but she's around minus 105. I will say that these are two frustrating women to watch fight. I think they both have potential and just... And again, I'm not an MMA coach. I'm just an interested observer who watches a lot of fights. But they look to me like two women that often fight against their own best skills and physical tools. Like Whitmire's problem to me seems to be that like stronger women, better grapplers can really give her trouble on the floor. And yet she will wade into striking exchanges just where it's really easy for them to get her hands, their hands on her and, and toss her on the floor where she's in trouble. Uh, Goldie? kind of has the opposite problem. I mean, Goldie is a little burly tank of a woman. She's built a, a bit like Miranda Maverick, and her her game has a little of Miranda Maverick to it, because even though Maverick is very short and compact, she prefers to fight from outside, you know, dart in, get her strikes in. But 
instead of being a Miranda Maverick, where she's been quite effective, she ends up more like a Tyron Woodley, where she's just waiting from the outside, waiting from outside of her punching range, and just doesn't come in and and throw enough volume. It just is, it, it isn't working for her. And I'm interested to see which of these two women makes any adjustments to her game, or if neither of them makes any adjustments, which one just manages to trump the other, because there's a good chance that this thing is a pink slip derby. Uh, the UFC seems fairly invested in giving Whitmire as many chances as it can, but this would be three straight losses for her, or yeah, it would be three straight losses for her. It would make her two and four in the UFC. That very possible pink slip, and certainly for Goldie to go 0-3 in the UFC, probably going to be walking papers. I'm leaning towards uh, Whitmire on this one, just because at the very least, I don't think Goldie is going to you know, bounce into range, get her in the clinch, dump her on the ground, and uh, submit her, which has been Whitmire's problem. Uh, if if anybody is going to let Whitmire make her game work, uh, it would probably be Goldie. So give me Whitmire by decision, but there's not a whole lot of confidence in that on my part. Yeah, I think you got it perfectly. I mean, the, the fight between these two girls, I mean, they're fighting for a roster spot. The loser probably gets cut. We'll start with Whitmire. She's she's big for the weight class. I like her output on her feet. Um, she loses a lot of movement, kind of tries to pull her opponent into her punches. A lot of kicks. Um, she does throw a high kick often, uh, similar to what you were talking about earlier with Phil Davis. We'll just throw it out there just to be busy. Uh, but she does make the mistake of throwing a lot of naked leg kicks. She just seems very uncomfortable on the feet, though. Like she strikes because she knows it's a part of MMA. But she really, like you said, she wants to get the fight to the ground. Uh, she likes to go over from the clinch. Uh, her last fight, she just she did like this weird rolling takedown where she like pulled herself on her back and kind of swept through. Uh, I don't know if that's a good idea going forward, but if she can get it down. Um, she's got pretty good heavy top pressure. I like that she looks to advanced position. The problem is, is she's been getting caught submissions. Her last two fights, uh, she, you know, as you mentioned, back to back submission losses. Uh, move over to Hannah Goldie. It's funny you talked about her physique because obviously the first thing that jumps out to me is her physique. Uh, when I spoke to her, we, we like talked about fitness for a really long time. It's something she's super. Into. I mean, you just look at it, know she's into it. Um, you said that she has a lower output. That's because she has like an in and out. She wants to work from the outside. She'll kind of go to the outside. She'll kind of dart in, throw a couple punches, kind of go back outside. Uh, I would say her hands are fairly quick, though she lacks power because she throws a lot of arm punches. Uh, but mostly in a striking, it's all kicks, um, good leg kicks. She has like a side kick. She throws up a quick high kick. Uh, so between the two of them, I, I expect to see a lot of kicks on the feet with both of them throwing kicks back and forth. Uh, as far as her grappling, weak takedown defense. She's been taken down a couple times in the UFC. Uh, she isn't much of a grappling threat, but to her credit, in her last fight, she did look for takedowns. She got two takedowns. She just wasn't able to control and, and do much with them. So you said you, you had – not much confidence. I have zero confidence in this pick. I, I'm not that high on either girl. I am also going to agree with you. I'm going to take Whitmire. Uh, I think I can see her getting the takedowns and and, and holding Goldie down and win decision. Uh, so give me Whitmire decision. But you know what else comes down to? Is I don't trust the IQ of Hannah Goldie. I mean, she had a baby with Alex Nicholson. So like that just sums up <laughs> like how much confident I am here. So. Give me uh, – I just anytime I can take a shot at Alex Nixon, I will. Uh, give me 
Uh, give me Whitmire by decision. Oof. Man, Florida, Florida gonna Florida. <laughs> Two picks for uh, Emily Whitmire by decision. Next up on the UFC Vegas 37 prelims is a bantamweight matchup between Gustavo Lopez and Alatang Haley. Lopez, the 32-year-old out of Extreme Couture, is 12-6 and six overall. He is 1-2 in the UFC uh, after joining out of uh, Combate Americas a couple of years ago. He has lost to Marab Dwalishvili and most recently uh, Adrian Yanez back in March. Uh, sandwiched in between those is a submission win over Anthony Burchak last November. Uh, he's taking on Alatang. The 29-year-old from Beijing is 14-8-1 overall. He is 2-1 since joining the UFC out of Korea's Road FC. Uh, he won his first two over Dana Bakari and Ryan Benoit uh, before that came to an end at the hands of Casey Kenny, who took a unanimous decision over him at UFC on ESPN Home versus Aldana last October. Uh, despite that setback, uh, Alatang is the slight favorite here. He is minus 125. You can get Lopez right now at even money or even plus 105 at some outlets out there. Uh, Keith, who do you like in this one? And generally speaking, does either of these guys have a top 15 ceiling at Bantamweight? Um, I would say no for Lopez for sure. But uh, Alatang Haley, like his age... You know, he's he's still pretty young. Like he's actually I think he's very young. What do you say? He's twenty one, twenty two, or something like that. He's, he's older he's, than, he's twenty he's twenty nine. It's oh, the other God. it's a Zhu Rong oh, is the guy the that's ultra young. Yeah. Yeah, then, then yeah. All right. Just, sorry, I'm mixing up my Chinese fighting. Yeah, then no, absolutely not. No, neither one. I was thinking <laughs> I was thinking he was really young and um so as far as Lopez, Lopez on the feet, he he's a pretty decent striker. He he throws hard, he's got good power, his left hook kind of being his his big punch. He does well to mix in takedowns. Um, he he's a good grappler. He's I'm gonna give him a pass on his takedown defense because you'd say, well, Marab Devos really took him down a bunch of times. He takes everybody down. But to his credit, like Lopez made him work. Like Lopez kept getting back to his feet. Uh, I don't like that he jumps on a guillotine, but in fairness, he almost caught Marab of all people in the guillotine. Um, but he he chases submissions. But I like that he had a slick back take against Anthony Burchak. Depend like depending on what you want to say about Burchak, like the one thing you don't really pick on is necessarily his grappling. Like he's that's his best part of his game, and and Lopez made him look amateurish. I mean, he Lopez is a big submission threat, and, and that'd be the case in this fight now. Uh, Alex Haley, he hits hard. He, he works behind a stiff jab, accurate straight right hand, but he struggles with speed. Like Casey Kenny was much faster than him. Uh, he also was out. The, the output was much different because he was throwing single strikes, and Kenny Kenny was also throwing single strikes, but he was blasting hard, hard body kicks, hard leg kicks. Uh, he doesn't check leg kicks at all. I mean, Casey Kenny was going to town on it. But he did show to me that he can take a beating and not quit and be very durable. Like Casey Kenny couldn't put him out. Uh, and he also threw hard leg kicks himself. I also like that he wrestles a little bit, which will help him win rounds. It's, it's, it's you know, for a guy who wants to strike, he will mix in some takedowns. And I like that he recently switched to Fight Ready MMA, which, you know, going from training in China to training at Fight Ready MMA. Maybe is, one of the best camps around for guys this size. I, regardless of your size. I mean, that's just a fantastic yeah. team. Um, so 
I kind of like both these guys, as in like low level guys that, you know, if they were fighting other guys in the card, I probably maybe pick both of them to win. This fight to me is also another toss up. I have no confidence in this pick at all. But I'm going to go with Alatang simply because he changed camps. And I know that's like usually we like to break down the film and pick it that way. But I want to see how much improvement he makes from going from China to one of the best teams in the world. Uh, if any of these fighters make a big jump in improvement, I would guess it would be uh, Alatang Haley. So I will go with that and give me Alatang by very close decision. I I, I love the, the breakdown there. Man, Gustavo Lopez has had a bad beat since he's joined the UFC. I mean, he comes in, and I was pretty excited for him to join. He was a guy even over in Combate. I was like, I wonder how we'd do against, you know, UFC Bantamweights or even, you know, Bellator Bantamweights because their Bantamweight division is a strong division as well. Comes over, right out the gate, he gets Marab, maybe the best wrestler in the division. Takes on Anthony Burchak, who's another tough guy. He's a guy that I'd put right in kind of the category you put both these guys in. Like, might not be top 15 guys, but just hovering around in that level right underneath and then next one up he gets adrian yanez that you and i are both extremely high on and i won't call necessarily like the best striker in the ufc bantamweight division right now but he might be one of the scariest like he is a knockout machine like he's great that's a rough first three fights in the ufc for gustavo lopez and i feel as though like he's still better than than he's shown us and he's still got more uh kind of got more to offer than what we've seen in these first three fights. You pointed out that even in getting kind of washed by Marab, he showed some signs of life there, like did make Marab work for the, for the takedowns. You know, he, he jumped to a guillotine, but you know what? Marab, you know, if you, you jump the guillotine and you hope that the, the ref smells like uh, beer and cigarettes and maybe you get yourself a technical <laughs> submission, you know, it's like yeah. roll the dice. You only live once, man. Uh, <clears throat> with, with, I would say, Hey Lee, I'm I just I, I don't see that much there he's one of those like the UFC has signed a flock of Chinese fighters in the last year or two they are heavily motivated to to get I mean they're heavily motivated to give as many Chinese fighters a chance as they can you know they've built an enormous facility over there they've restructured their broadcast deals in China like there is a ton of UFC capital sunk into China right now. It's why Wei Li Zhang is getting an immediate title rematch with uh, with Rose Nami Yunus. It's why people like Alatang He Li and Zhu Rong are going to get every chance possible. We'll talk about uh, Zhu Rong in a minute, but I don't think He Li Alatang is it. I, I can imagine that he will have improved at, at Fight Ready, and maybe he gets a chance to have another camp there and uh, continue those improvements. But for now, this Saturday night, I'm not super confident in it, but uh, give me Lopez by decision. We now head up to the welterweight division for a clash between uh, two relatively new but very promising prospects. It is Impa Kasanganai and Carlston Harris. Kasanganai, the 27-year-old North Carolinian fighting out of Sanford MMA in Florida, is 9-1. Uh, in his overall career, uh, he is two and one since joining the UFC out of uh, two back-to-back appearances on uh, Dana White's Contender Series in 2019 and 2020. He fought most recently back in April, choking out Sasha Palatnikov 
uh, within the first 30 seconds of the second round of their meeting at UFC on ABC, Vittori versus Holland. That, of course, allowed him to put in the rearview mirror, being on the wrong side of the poster of one of the greatest highlights in UFC history when uh, Joaquin Buckley hit him with that spinning back kick for the ages last October. He's taking on Harris. Uh, Harris, the 34-year-old from Guyana, is 16-4 and overall. He is 1-0 and since joining the UFC out of uh, Chudo Brazil and a couple of mi uh, Middle Eastern promotions, including Brave CF and uh, Abu Dhabi Warriors. In his uh, UFC debut in May, he choked Christian Aguilera all the way out with an anaconda choke uh, midway through the first round at UFC on ESPN Rodriguez versus Watterson. Odds are very close on this one as well. Uh, I, slight favorite at minus 120. Uh, Harris is out there at even money right now, plus 100. Uh, Keith, uh, same question to you as for a, a lot of these prelims. What do you see as the ceiling for these guys? Like, do either of them look like potential top 15, top 10 guys to you? And who do you think wins? Well, so Carlton Harris, Harris he's a little older. Uh, he got into the UFC a little older uh that, he's not that young but he's young in the game like how long so i feel much better about him like we, i he's nowhere near the finished product um i mean i think he turned pro in 2019 i mean mm -hmm. they've only been pro for a little over two years uh he's a great athlete i mean you're talking about a former ncaa football player which they'll mention uh on the feet he's aggressive high volume um stays in tight with his strikes he uses feints well to draw out openings He's very physically strong. Uh, he hits hard, but I do think his power is a little overrated. And I think that's more of a matter of him just going to work on his technique. Once he cleans up everything, gets a little tighter, gets a, uh, a little quicker, then he'll, he'll get those knockouts. We just look at the guy and you can see how big and strong he is. And you see his strength in the grappling. Um, he just he kind of has like just grab you and outmuscle you. Um, he has been easily taken down in the past for his wrestling, but I was super impressed with his grappling in his last fight against Sasha Palatnikov. Like he looked really good, and I also like his card. Like I've seen him go deep into fights. Uh, Harris, he's he's weirdly framed. Like he's got long arms, long um, like wide shoulders. Kind of like, kind of has a, uh, is it's been the theme, but he kind of has um. Uh, a Phil Davis kind of frame to him. Or the Phil huge, Davis. like, V taper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, long arm, uh, long long jab he works behind, uh, though he do a little overreach. Uh, but he's got good snap on his punches when he when he wants to start launching shots, launching overhand right, uh, trying to get the knockout aggressive in that sense. But ultimately his game plan is to use his strikes to get you to back up to he can close the distance where he's got decent entries, Likes the upper body lock takedowns when it presses against the cage. Heavy top pressure. Likes to advance position on the ground. He like he's a submission threat. He likes his anaconda shows. Likes to attack uh, the head. Uh, cardio, I actually think, is a strength. I've seen him fight 25 minutes on the regional scene, so I don't expect him to to slow down. Uh, so his prediction: This is three fights, three fights in a row that I'm going to a really, really close decision. I like both these guys moving forward. Like I think. Carlton Harris is is a good addition to the UFC. I know this is his second fight, but I'm saying it was a good addition when they brought him in. Uh, however, I'm going to go with Kasaganai simply because he's still improving, kind of what we said in like the intro. 
and I don't think Harris would. Like, I think he's probably reached his ceiling. And I saw big improvements in Kasanganai's grappling in his last game. And I, I'm hoping he's making big jumps in everything at this point. Uh, so I don't have any confidence in this pick. Um, I know he's the favorite, but I would not be surprised if Harris gets an upset. But give me Kasanganai by decision. Um, but he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to avoid that early flurry from Harris because he comes out shot like out of the cannon. I, I'm with you here, and for a lot of the same reasons, I, I was I was really curious which way you were going to go on this one, uh, but I agree that uh, Kasanganai, as a guy who is so new to this sport and so young, I mean, it's obviously he's not reached the upper limit of his skill set yet. The guy's only been fighting professionally for two years. Even his amateur debut was like barely three years ago. But at 27, it's entirely possible that he hasn't even hit his physical peak yet. Like, hell, by the time he's 32, he might be back at 185 and just a different man physically. But in terms of being a physical specimen, all I've got to say is if you're listening to this and you're either looking at Impa Kasanganai's listing on the Sherdog Fight Finder or the little snap of him underneath Keith and me talking here, that picture is him at 185. It is completely ludicrous that he found 15 pounds to take off of that frame. Uh, being at Sanford MMA is, uh, I think that's going to be perfect for him. There are a lot of uh, sparring partners right in his weight range. Just the fact that that he's 170 means he's he's probably working with Logan Storley like every day. That's that's good stuff for a guy who has Kasanganai shortcomings. Um, so yeah, I, I expect him to be a little better than the last time we saw him, where Harris might be. He might be marginally and incrementally better. He might be the same, you know, uh, into his now 34 years old. He might be worse. No matter what I, the case is, I, I'm rolling the dice here that Kasanga and I is able to withstand the early blitz, stay on his feet, and uh, I don't know if he'll hurt Harris and knock him out, but at, at least land enough damage to win rounds, at least two out of three. So give me Kasanga and I by decision as well. We now head back down to the flyweight division where Erin Blanchfield will make her well, a highly anticipated UFC debut against Sarah Alpar. Blanchfield, the 22-year-old out of New Jersey, is 6-1 and one in her young career. Uh, as mentioned, this will be her first fight in the UFC, but she comes in off of a three-fight winning streak, uh, one of those in CFFC, the other two in Invicta Fighting Championships, uh, where she took out Victoria Leonardo, uh, who is now in the UFC, and uh, Brogan Sanchez, uh, who could be. Uh, she will be taking on Alpar, the 30-year-old Texan by way of Oklahoma, is 9-5 and five overall. Uh, she is 0-1. Since joining the UFC out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series, uh, she made her debut last September and got uh, bumped up and lumped up by uh, Jessica Rose Clark on the way to a TKO stoppage late in the third round. Uh, what I remember most about that is that Alpar's wedding was like a week from then, and that entire wedding sh shoot, I mean, it's either the worst wedding photo album of all time or the best kind of depending on your attitude towards it knowing Sarah Alpar I bet I bet she loves it but I mean that's my last memory of her in the cage uh, Blanchfield obviously uh, super hot prospect one of the bigger favorites on the card she is out there right now at minus 310 you can get Alpar at plus 250 plus 255 as the substantial underdog worth mentioning as well that this will be uh, Alpar's first fight at 125 in the UFC she has typically been a 135 pounder over the course of her career 
Uh, here, I like this as a debut fight for Aaron Blanchfield. I like this one a lot. Uh, Blanchfield, obviously, all the potential in uh, in the world. Uh, you know, good grappler, developing striker, uh, a good athlete, but not like an off the charts athlete. Like it, it's not like looking at uh, Aspen Ladder, Macy Barber at her same age, where they just overwhelm people with physicality on their way up. That hasn't really been Blanchfield's thing. Uh, and I, I like the matchup with Alpar. Uh, Alpar is not a plus athlete by certainly by uh, UFC or, or top level uh, standards. She is the ultimate grinder. I mean, she is a wrestler by trade. She wrestled in high school. Uh, and she is one that I'm guessing probably even at the high school level against whatever girls they could find for her to wrestle in her weight class, got them through kind of dogged persistence uh, rather than like having a, a spectacular, like, you know, rocket fast double leg from the outside. But that's something that Blanchfield needs to be tested against. And I am interested to see if uh, Alpar's game works even a little better when she's taking on 125 pound uh, Aaron Blanchfield, you know, where she's not quite as short and and stocky, where maybe her, her strength uh, translates better to the lower weight class. Uh, having said all those things, you know, I, I do favor Blanchfield in, in this one. I, I don't think Alpar is going to be able to get her down on the ground, at least not in the, the positions and situations that will be advantageous to her. And I think on the feet, Blanchfield is going to be a nifty striker and probably just outland her a lot. So yeah, uh, give me Blanchfield to probably win all three rounds of this thing. Uh, probably not much danger of a finish here, but just Blanchfield outstrikes her in all three rounds. Alpar can't get it to the ground. And on the occasions that Alpar is able to at least run her to the fence and try to like get to a safe spot, Blanchfield's able to get off the fence, disengage, and, and go back to, to hitting her. Yeah, uh, Blanchfield by decision. Yeah, so Blanchfield is one of these, another additions recently of the UFC signing prospects out of Invicta that I really, really liked. Uh, Blanchfield is one of my favorite prospects on all of MMA, especially in female women's MMA. She's only 22 years old, and I will say this. I will go to my grave saying this. I say this every single time either one of these two fighters fight, either Aaron Blanchfield or Tracy Cortez. She gets screwed. She beat Tracy Cortez. Uh, uh, but uh, back to uh, her skill set, on the feet, good output, um, not not very technically sound. Uh, she kind of – Gets her elbows wing out a little bit when she's striking. Um, that's more of a defensive issue than an offensive. Kind of opens up her ribs to counters. Uh, she needs to work on getting, get staying inside, getting tight. Uh, but she does have good power. She's dropped a lot of fighters, including her last opponent, which is ironic. Considering we just talked about how she's not that polished, tech, you know, with her technique, and she's at the age where she really hasn't come into her power. So if she can gain both those, she could be really be the cracker in in the 125. Uh, good head movement, though she does drop her hands a little bit for my liking. Uh, she doesn't check leg kicks in her last fight. Brogan Sanchez did have her best success with her leg kicks. But you have to be worried about Aaron Blanchfield's kicks. Uh, just as Victoria Leonardo, she knocked her out with a head kick. Uh, but most of her striking she's doing, she's just using her forward pressure to get you to back towards the fence where she's going to shoot for a takedown. She's got good entries. I mean, this is an EBI world champion. Like, she's that good on the ground. Uh, she's a uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and uh, she's a submission threat, heavy top pressure. Uh, even though she's a submission threat, she more looks to ground and pound. 
And my favorite thing about her, and this is both on the ground and on the feet, is she has a killer instinct. If she has you hurt at all, she turns up the volume and tries to get you out of there. Even in her last fight when she was way ahead on the scorecards, was going to win an easy uh, decision of Broga Sanchez, she got in the mouth at the end of the fight and was trying to end that fight with some vicious ground and pound. Now, moving on to Alpar, uh, she's, she is going to be the bigger fighter, as you said, dropping down from 125. Uh, she's so inactive, though. It seems like she only gets to fight once a year. Um, some of that's because she doesn't have the funds to fight. As, as she's made uh, GoFundMes and stuff to, to help train. Uh, she's southpaw. She's a pressure striker. Uh, she likes to march forward into the pocket. Uh, she does well to keep her head off the center line. <coughs> Sorry about that. Uh, though she she doesn't like being pressured back. Like she and if she is pressured back, she she moves back on the on the center line, um, which is I um, it's ironic because when she comes in forward, she does very well to move her head. Uh, she does throw a very powerful left cook, uh, left hook, uh, and and but when she connects, she can get pretty wild and kind of get sucked into a, a brawl. But as you mentioned. She's also wanting to get the fight to the ground. She likes to wrestle. Um, even though she has a wrestling background, I actually think um, Blanchfield might actually be the more technically sound. Alper more like catches a kick or she'll like grab a snatch single and run the pipe. Uh, and if she's on top, she just sits and peppers on on the guard from the top position. So as far as prediction goes, I've been on the Blanchfield bandwagon for a long time. I'm not jumping off now. I expect her to use Alpar's pressure against her. If Alpar presses forward, I guess you see Blanchfield dropping down. Uh, once she gets her down, I expect her to brutalize Alpar. Wrestlers don't be like uh, like being on their backs. And, and Blanchfield's a scary woman on top. I, I, you said that she's not physically as strong as like uh, uh, who'd you say Miranda Maverick? Bar- like like Aspen Macy Barber, Lad. Aspen Lad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I agree, um, but she's like, she's got a mean streak in her, and I think she's more technically sound than those girls. Uh, so I actually think she's got to make, like, he's not gonna have the Patty Pimlet push because she's not in the personality, but it should. Like, people should be jumping on a bandwagon on this. I expected her to just run right through. I'm gonna give her a second round TKO from ground and pound. There you go. Uh, two strong picks for uh, Blanchfield to make a successful debut. The difference being whether there's a finish or not, whether most of it takes place on the feet or on the ground. But either way, uh, two strong votes of confidence for the 22-year-old phenom. Next up at UFC Fight Night 192 is a bantamweight matchup between Montel Quick Jackson and JP the Young Savage Bays. Jackson, the 29-year-old out of... Uh, Milwaukee is 10 and 2 overall. He is 4 and 2 since joining the UFC out of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, over that time, he has lost only to uh, Ricky Simone and Brett Johns while defeating Brian Kelleher, Andre Sukumtat, uh, Felipe Gias Colares, and most recently, back in March, uh, Jesse Strader, whom he knocked out in two minutes at UFC on ESPN Brunson versus Holland. He'll be taking on Bays. The 25-year-old South African fighting out of Dallas is 9-3 overall. He is 0-1 since uh, joining the UFC out of Dana White's Contender Series, uh, his second appearance. He appeared on the first season all the way back in 2017, uh, lost 
that one, went back and won a couple more fights and appeared on Dana White's Contender Series again last November where he choked uh, Jacob Silva all the way unconscious. That one did punch his ticket uh, to the big show. But unfortunately, in his debut, he got knocked out by Bruno Silva. That was uh, back in March, again, at UFC on ESPN Brunson versus Holland. Uh, perhaps reflecting their different trajectories in the octagon, Jackson is the second biggest favorite on this entire card. He is minus 600 right now, where Bays is a plus 450 as the, again, very substantial underdog. Uh, Keith? Who do you like in this one, and uh, how does he get it done? Well, you just mentioned that the biggest favorite of the card, and he's a negative 600, so um, it's hard to go against Montel Jackson. Uh, Jackson, Southpaw, he, the biggest difference in this fight is just how much bigger J, than he is, JP buys. He already is a big bantamweight. Um, he's got a 75-inch reach advantage, and buys obviously coming up from flyweight. going to make him look even bigger. Uh, on the feet, fast hands, straight punches down the pipe. Uh, get good, really developing his power. You talk about the Jesse Strader knockout. He also hurt a guy that is really good, uh, Bantamweight, Brett Johns in their fight. If he gets in the clinch, strong clinch fight. Actually, that's a fight I really wish we'd see again, like a couple years down the line, him and him and Brett Johns, uh, which obviously is not going to happen now that Brett Johns is not an organization. But uh, back to Jackson, uh, strong clinch fighter, uh, underrated wrestler. Uh, I like his his foot sweeps. If he's on top, good ground and pound. He has a very Tito Ortiz style where he likes to grab the hands and and then just slide in elbows in, inside. Uh, but the one issue I have with him, this is the one thing that keeps me from thinking he's an upper echelon top 15, like a guy who's going to break into the top 15. He needs to show me that he can stop a guy that has a very heavy wrestling game plan against him because his two losses, one was against Ricky Simone, the other one was against Brett Johnson. In both of those fights, he was out-wrestled. Now, move over to J.P. Buys. Well, he's a very strong guy. I, I don't know if that physical strength will go up with him to Bantamweight. But he's a classic wrestle boxer. He's got some nice pop in, in his strikes. He likes to throw it out of the pocket. He does hang his hands low, um, does keep his chin high, and that's a very big issue considering he was knocked out in his UFC debut. Um, as far as... Offensive skills, he he throws a lot of kicks for a wrestler. He hides them behind his strikes. Uh, he doesn't check leg kicks, but he throws some. He's an elite wrestler, though. Like He's not just a wrestler. He's an elite wrestler. I mean, this guy, he competed in the World Championships. Go back to his fight with Joby Sanchez. I said he was, like, suplexing Joby Sanchez around. Uh, obviously, he's very good in scrambles. So, surprisingly, he's been taken down by uh, lesser wrestlers. And that happens at, at times when a guy kind of gets away from his wrestling. They want to try everything else. They kind of, like... They're not keeping their, their elite skill shopping. Or also when they just kind of disregard a guy's wrestling talent that they that they'll get taken down because they kind of like, oh, you know, I'm fighting, I'm wrestling world champions. I'm not worried about the high school state champion or whatever. So uh, that that happens in the past. Uh, but on on top, good top control, good top pressure, nice ground and pound. Uh, but cardio has been a major issue. We've seen him gas out. Um, I go back to the Joby Sanchez fight. He lost that fight because he gassed out. As far as prediction goes, I give buys uh, a base. Is it base buys? I always say his name. I, uh, I, I it's it's base. Like I trust. Bays, him. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, I apologize. Uh, base. I'm not trying to disrespect him. Um, base. I give him a much much better chance than Vegas does. Like, 
I don't think Montel Jackson should be a negative 600 favorite simply for the fact that the way he lost and from straight credentials, I'm not saying MMA wrestling, but straight wrestling credentials, this is the best wrestler he's ever faced. He's This is a better wrestler than Ricky Simone and Brett Jones, especially better than Brett Jones. Mm-hmm. However, I can't get past the size difference. I think it's going to be, I think Jackson's going to look huge. I also love Jackson's combination of speed and power. He seems like a guy, like I said, I'm not going to put him in that upper echelon or the, the you know, the guy that I'm calling for, t- you know, top 15 guy next until I see improved takedown defense. This might be the fight where we, we, we have to see it. But Baez got too many flaws defensively. Jackson seems like he's really coming around. So give me Jackson. I think he's going to connect on, on Baez's chin. I think he's going to put him out early. Give me Jackson my first round knockout. Despite me saying that I give Baez a better chance of winning, I just call the first round knockout. Uh, I feel a lot of the the same kind of dynamic that you're putting down here. Uh, Jackson is huge. And the question for me is still whether J.P. Baez can make his game work on UFC level flyweights or bantamweights. Because the two most memorable fights of his for me, obviously, are, or the three, are his two appearances on the Contender Series and then his UFC debut. I mean, I've watched tape of the others, but those three, you know, I watched in the moment, was talking with people about them. They're stuck in my mind. And he, as you said, he slammed Joby Sanchez all over the place, and he just kind of uh, overwhelmed and choked out uh, Jacob Silva. Joby Sanchez is kind of like a skinny, uh, feathery uh flyweight and i see i see jacob silva a lot he's he's a houston guy his problem at the ufc level is that he is tiny like he's like joseph benavidez size and that's just gonna that's always gonna hurt him uh, against a a guy his own size a, a, like a big strong guy that knows that Bay is gonna want to wrestle the jury is still out on whether he can make it work uh i'm interested to see whether his gas tank is better at 135 and i'm also interested to see whether, uh, yeah, again, whether he can make this elite credentialed, at least, wrestling game work. Because at its best, uh, both on Contender Series and on the various regional scenes where he fought on his way up, it makes for an exciting fight. He's an exciting ground fighter. Because, uh, yeah, he's he's a, a good wrestler, but then he has a submission game that works very naturally off of that. Like, just good front headlock series, just kind of a classic team alpha male guy type like not that he, he's ever trained there but just kind of the classic thing of where uriah faber realized that i'm a really good wrestler but also when i grab these guys next like this i can actually just choke them now like this you know I, i'm not in college wrestling anymore and kind of made a whole school out of that approach to the game base has a little bit of that also has a uh, nice quick back takes when he gets the opportunity just i don't think he's going to get the opportunity against montel jackson montel jackson is a bad dude for you to go up against to find out whether moving up to Bantamweight was a good idea. You know, it's kind of like moving from 205 up up to heavyweight and your first opponent, you know, is like Stefan Struve or something. Uh, I, I'm with you. you know, <laughs> that that goes, might be a good thing, though. Yeah, well... <laughs> but I understand where you're going with that yeah. example, but not may not be the best example. Maybe, maybe, maybe Volkov. Volkov. Okay. Yes, Volkov. Okay, you're like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. That, yeah, more, more like that. Uh, uh, but I, I, I'm with you. If it gets out of the first round and Bayes isn't gassing, Montel Jackson doesn't like guys that don't go away. 
you know, Montel, Montel Jackson's problems have come against guys that like he couldn't really bully and dictate the fight. If Bayes turns into one of those, all bets are off. But I'm with you. I think I think Jackson probably catches him with something with his much better range, uh, better hand speed, better footwork, and knows that Bayes probably wants to take down really badly and just tags him with something on the way in. Uh, give me Montel Jackson by uh, first round TKO as well. Yeah, we should mention that you talked about Jacob Silva. That fight, the win over Jacob Silva has not aged well. As he, as Jacob Silva since then has lost two of his last three fights and, mm-hmm. and it, four of his last five. Yeah, and that's back here in Houston in Fury as well as up at the next level. But, uh, hey, I still root for the guy. He's a good dude. The UFC Vegas 37 prelims uh, soldier on with a lightweight matchup between two debuting fighters in Nicholas Mota and Cameron Van Camp. Uh, Mota, the 28-year-old Brazilian, is 12-3 and overall. Uh, he comes to the UFC having fought in Judo Brazil, having fought in uh, CFFC, but most recently having appeared on Dana White's Contender Series back in uh, November of last year, where he took a unanimous decision over Joseph Lowry. He'll be taking on short-notice opponent uh, Cameron Van Camp, who steps up on, I think, four or five days' notice. It'll be a little over a week by the time of the actual fight. Uh, but he is 28 years old, fighting out of uh, Indiana. He's 15, 5, and 1 with one no contest overall. Uh, he fought just a month ago uh, at, a, at a card in Kentucky, choking out uh, another local guy in about a minute. So uh, he's fought fairly recently, but... Uh, Odds on this one do pretty heavily favor Moda. He's minus 280 right now. Odds just came out today, Wednesday, that that we're recording this, where you can get Van Camp if uh, you know and like him at plus 240 or plus 245 on the comeback. Worth mentioning that this was going to be Nicholas Moda's UFC debut either way, but he had been scheduled to take on Jim Miller. So he goes from fighting literally the most experienced fighter in UFC history I mean, tied, but a 37 fight UFC veteran to a fellow newcomer. It's, I mean, it was going to be the, uh, it was going to be the biggest gap in experience in a UFC fight ever. Now it's just two more debuting guys and why the UFC couldn't have just let this card be a 14 fight card. I do not know, but it's happening no matter how we feel about it. Uh, Keith, who's going to be feeling good at the end of this fight? Well, so I didn't do the film study by the time the Jim Miller oh, fight. But- I, I apologize. Let me butt in with something here. I remembered to mention that Alpar was dropping to flyweight. I forgot to mention that JP Bays was moving up to, uh, that she was moving up to uh, Bantamweight. Let me remind everybody or tell everybody that Cameron Van Camp is not only making his debut on short notice, but he has typically been fighting at welterweight recently. Yeah. His last six fights were at welterweight. He's moving yeah. down, which is like on five days. notice, which is crazy. I don't want to say this though. So I haven't done the film study on Jim Miller for this. Like this, this is one of the fights that luckily I put towards the end of my film study. So I, I got it. I didn't have to like watch Jim. I mean, I kind of know what you get with Jim Miller at this point, but I would probably was going to take motor to beat Jim Miller. That said, like that still was a weird matchup. Like that, in Jim Miller's sense, like he shouldn't be fighting guys making the UFC debuts who don't have a lot of buzz. Like if you wanted to make him against Patty Pimlet, someone who has a lot of buzz, that would make sense. But Nicholas Moda does not. Even though, um, <laughs> I'd probably take 
I'm, I'm a, I, I am a Patty Pimlet hater, apparently, apparently, because <laughs> I, I, I fear a lot of people love him. Anyways, um, this is a fight. This fight makes a lot more sense. I like. I know you're saying it shouldn't have been made. Like we didn't need it. I agree, but if, if Moda's making his UFC debut, this this is a guy he should be fighting. Uh, Moda's 27 years old. Kato uh, Almeida student. Has some good regional wins. Um, Joe Selecki, uh, Joe Lowry knocked out um, Cesar Bal- um How do I say his last name? Help me out. Cesar Balmaceda, I think. He's 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 a, he's a really good prospect himself. Yeah. I apologize if I said his name wrong. Um, he's a tough Brazil veteran. So he's he's got good experience coming to the UFC. So I, I don't think the bright lights would get to him. Uh, really good power on the feet. Though he's a little flat-footed, he he kind of um, fights behind a hard gu- high guard, kind of bob and weaves type of um, Joe Frazier type style, bob and weaving. Um, I don't know why I always say this. Everyone works behind a jab now, but uh, get likes to get inside. He likes to target the body, hard light, hard light kicks, mixes kicks well in with his punches, um, in his combinations. Very nice high kick. Um, he can be a little tentative at times though where or i shouldn't say tentative but um low out because he's looking for the one big punch where he's he's trying to land the perfect punch um but to his credit he, he's landed that punch a couple of times but he's also because he bobs inside he's been caught himself uh but in clinch i like him in the clinch good muay thai uh, works well knees up the middle um Good offensive wrestler, though he's a weak defensive wrestler, and, and he's not much of a submission threat. He he uses he's more of a guy who gets taken down and pops right back up. He, he, prime Jose Aldo style, where he's trying to he's trying to kill your mind, trying to break your will with just getting right up. Now move over to Van Camp. As you mentioned, I don't like that he's dropping down the weight. I really don't like he's dropping down the weight in days notice. Um, that makes me really worried about his cardio. And this is a guy that needs cardio in his game. It's a big part of his things. Um, he likes to wrestle. He, he's got good entries. He tends to overreach, though. Uh, on the feet, lacks head movement. Uh, though he does throw a lot of stuff right up the middle, which I like, especially knees up the middle. Uh, but he's mostly a wrestler. Like he, he's mostly a grappler. Good submission threat. Good top control. Good back control. Uh, and, and like head attacks is ten, kind of his specialty. Anacondas, guillotines, dark strokes. He even got a ninja choke in his last fight, which is always fun to see. Uh, as far as prediction goes, if Van, if um, Van Camp had a had a longer, you know, full, yeah. <laughs> what's his name? The, wait, 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 no, if he had like a if oh, Van Camp oh, had a longer I, camp, like just... yeah, if he had a longer camp, I, I thought I was saying his last name wrong or something. Uh, yeah, if he had a longer camp, then. Uh, I would feel better about picking him. I like that they brought him. Like I like what I've seen on on film. He's one of these guys. Like I start watching him, I strike him, I'm like, oh. But then like, hits the ground. I'm like, whoa. Like he's pretty good on. The, like he's a pretty great grappler. Um, however, the fact that he for him to win, it needs to be a heavy grappling style, which usually drains your gas tank. I don't like a guy take one taking on short rest, two cutting down weight. I don't trust it. So give me Moda to land something on the feet. Give me Moda to win by second round TKO after after uh, camp band camp gas himself out. Yeah, I I'm with you for a lot of those same reasons. Uh, I mean, you think about this. He fought on July 24th. He fought at 170. So 
I mean, he's probably walking around at 180, 182 pounds a couple days after that. He And he gets the call. And he did not have anything scheduled at 170 at the time. So he's walking around at whatever his, you know, in-shape walking weight is. Gets a call from the UFC. Can you drop 25 or 30 pounds in 10 days? One, I'm I'm interested to see if he even makes weight. And if he makes weight, what he looks like on the scale. If he makes weight and he doesn't look like death warmed over on the scale, there's going to be a stark size difference between him and Nicholas Mota. Uh, the Sherdog Dog Fight Finder lists Mota at five foot eight. I don't know if that's absolutely correct. I'm interested to see the guy's toe to toe, but he's not a big lightweight. He's he's kind of got the uh, uh, Diego Fajeda thing where he's not super tall, but he, like he's got kind of a, a thick torso. He's a little deceptively heavy. Uh, well, unfortunately, Fajeda is not deceptively heavy, but just the regular kind of heavy sometimes. But uh, but Van Camp should be much bigger. And if he wants to wrestle, he might be able to make that work in the early going, at least until that gas tank betrays him. Uh, interesting thing about Van, Van Camp is, like, obviously, he's a good wrestler, good grappler. Majority of his wins by submission. But he seems like the guy who he would prefer to strike. He seems to want to test his his, his luck there until something goes wrong. And then, like, his th then the, the safety valve is there. You know, and it's generally worked for him. But man, I I can't get over the fact. You know, I'm going to do some MMA math here. That Van Camp, in fairly recent memory, lost to like 41 year old Bobby Velker, and Nicholas Moda is. Uh, I mean, he's the last guy to beat Joe Selecki. Selecki has won six straight then since then, including his first three in the UFC. That is a win that is aging super well. Uh, I, I'm with you. It, it, this might be a different fight if both guys were on full camps, it, or at least if. Van Camp were coming off of a couple fights at lightweight and we're stepping up on short notice. But as it is, give me Moda to survive like just badly outclass and outpower uh, Van Camp on the feet. If he tries his luck here, as he often did on the regional scene, it's not going to be good luck for him. Uh, give me Moda by first round TKO. We will stay in the lightweight division and it is a matchup between the youngest man on the card, uh, Zhu Rong, and the debuting Brandon Jenkins. Uh, Rong, the 21-year-old from uh, Central China, is 17-4 and overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC as he came in uh, pretty highly touted early this year off of a 10-fight winning streak in WLF, uh, one of China's biggest promotions. Uh, that win streak came to an end as he lost a unanimous decision to Rodrigo Vargas at, uh, in April at UFC 261. Uh, he's taking on Jenkins, uh, who is making a Fairly quick turnaround. This guy was fighting in PFL three weeks ago, uh, August 27th. He was on uh, one of the PFL playoff cards in a, in a non-playoff matchup. Uh, in that fight, he sniped Jacob Kilburn with a flying knee. That extended his winning streak to three straight. Uh, despite that winning streak and despite Wrong coming off a loss, Wrong is uh, a strong favorite here. He is minus 330. Uh, Jenkins plus 260 on the comeback. Uh, I was super disappointed with Zhu Rong's debut. I, I saw him, and again, when someone comes in off of a like a gaudy-looking winning streak over in China, it's hard to judge based on the tape there because some of those guys are very good fighters, and some, I mean, some may be literal jobbers, but some if not jobbers are just kind of like the people that they put a promising boxing prospect against, you know, someone that's like 11 and 47 and is really just meant to help pad guys records. But based on the tape, 
I thought Wrong would do well because he's like a big, physically strong guy. And I thought that would, you know, it, it would transition well to the octagon. And I, I'm pretty sure I picked him to beat Rodrigo Vargas in his UFC debut. I was very wrong. It was a disappointing performance. Uh, I'm excited to see Brandon Jenkins in the UFC. He has a fun game to watch. He calls himself the human highlight reel. That's not a nickname that like rolls off the tongue really easily, but he's got kind of a wild game. It, and I'm not saying he's as good as either of the two guys I'm going to compare him to, but he's like a wilder early John Jones or a higher volume Johnny Walker. Like he's just kind of like loose and moving around and he'll throw a few conventional things, but he's really just waiting for the perfect opportunity to throw a spinning elbow or a step in the flying something. Uh, when it works, it's spectacular uh, as it was against Jacob Kilburn. That was a wild fight, but frankly, Kilburn was probably getting a little the better of it until he zigged when he should have zagged and Jenkins just nailed him with a flying knee to the face and the thing was all over. Uh, the question here is whether he'll be able to make that kind of game work against uh, wrong. I don't know, but I still don't like I'm still burned from wrong's debut. And on on the Jenkins side, I'm worried that, again, he fought three weeks ago and sure, like it was only two minutes of work that night. But that means he'd had a whole camp leading up to that. Presumably whatever weight cut he has, he wasn't planning on fighting again right away. So, I mean, did he? take a week off? Did he go on a vacation? Did he, like, when did he even go back into the gym? And now he's fighting a guy that's had this date circled on his calendar for months. Not a lot of faith in this, but give me Zhu wrong by decision to kind of right the ship. And while I was disappointed with his debut, just by being so young, like, wrong may have a little bit of a learning curve, but a higher ceiling than any of the kind of flock of Chinese fighters that the UFC has signed in the last two or three years, at least, you know, within the men's divisions, you know, like over in the women's divisions, they're bursting into the top five. But uh, yeah, wrong. Eh, I, I might have been incorrect about him. No pun intended. How do you feel about this one? Yeah, uh, wrong is only 21 years old. You said he has a little bit of a learning curve. Yeah. I agree with that, but he, I also agree that he could have the highest ceiling of the recent, you know, not talking about Weili Zhang. I mean, talking about, you know, the, the or people. Or even Xiaonan Yan, you know, who came in and, yeah. like, really kind of wrecked shop for Yeah, a while. I'm talking about not people who are, like, ranked right now. I'm talking about people that are on their way up. Yeah, I agree with the people that recently signed. you got to go with a young 21-year-old who has 20 professional, 21 professional fights under their belt. So you like the experience. Uh, I also like that he recently moved out to Florida and he's training with American Top Team, like, arguably the best team in the world or definitely one of the best teams. That's always a good move on the feet. Good boxer, uh, very composed, very relaxed, high output. Uh, when he sees an opening, he really, um, he got good accuracy to, to land uh, straight shots down the pipe, jab straight, right. Uh, stalking kind of keeps the pressure on you. Good body kicks, good power. Um, also throws um, a lot of kicks to to the legs. He has some defensive holes I don't like. Keeps his chin a little high in the air. He's a weak defensive wrestler, uh, and he's a weak grappler. He's been submitted three times uh, on the ground. And um, losing to Rodrigo Vargas is n not a good win. Now, Vargas is also a very physically demanding guy. That's a 36-year-old grown man who, who knows how to use his strength. So, like, it's not terrible, but 
Like that's someone like you'd feel much better about him if he won, even at 21 years old. Um, and we talked about his, his inability to defense wrestle. We haven't seen much of his offensive wrestling either. Um, but uh, does scramble somewhat okay. But over the Jenkins, uh, this is a guy that I kind of had to cram study in today because this is so last minute. Uh, but I kind of like what I saw. I mean, I, I knew him from the PFL and everything, but uh, not where I was doing deep t- tape studies. I like what I saw. I mean, as you mentioned, obviously I remember the flying knee knockout that the you know on Twitter and stuff. Uh, you, you talked about the spinning attacks. I like that. You mentioned not the level of John Jones or something. He kind of reminds a little of of Corey Sanhagen because he's always constantly switching his stances. Which, uh, and again, not to that level. I'm saying, like, these are the people when he's doing film study and he's watching these guys, he's trying to learn from these guys. Um, I like that he, he, he comes forward, he stays on his opponent, he does really well to cut the cage off. Uh, throws a lot of winging, kind of weird angle punches, looping shots, uh, loves his overhands, but he really steps into his shots and draws as much power as he can. Uh, like I said, he always switches stances. When he's in the southpaw, he loves the inside kicks, inside to the body, inside to the, uh, the leg. From the traditional stance or orthodox stance, he likes to go after the calf. Uh, seems very intelligent fighter, uh, even though he throws a lot of, uh, you know, crowd pleasing stuff. He also like he knows, like the flying knee gets set up with taking out the, front of the fighter's legs, you know, or or their body in in that. Um, if he gets in the, if he gets in the clinch, can, uh, can be chosen clinch though. Also similar to what we just talked about the Chinese fighter, not much of a, a grappling game, weak takedown defense struggles to get back up. But what I do like, he's been a champion on the regional scene. So he's gone 25 minutes. Um, and so I don't expect him even on a short camp. Uh, I don't expect him to gas out, uh, short, short notice gives me not very confidence in Jenkins. If he had a much bigger camp, I'd feel much better. Uh, you know, I love taking the younger fighters. Um, I think we're going to have some really fun exchanges on the feet. Both these guys want to battle on the feet. I think Jenkins is going to stay in his, in his face. I'm going to do it, man. On day's notice, Ben has convinced me that Chinese fighters suck. Uh, even though he just picked, not say a, that. <laughs> a, even though he, even though he just picked a Chinese fighter, so I'm gonna get both Chinese fights wrong because uh, we disagreed both times, and I, I went with the, I went with a Chinese fighter that's not supposed to win, and then I went with a, I went against the Chinese fighter that's gonna win. So this is my upset pick. This is also my fight of the night pick. I'm putting, I'm giving two awards in the same one. Uh, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Jenkins and his experience, uh, you know, his regional experience, his 25 minutes, and and the pressure. And uh, give me Jenkins. I'm going to say a really close, fun war. Uh, but I say he's going to get it done. There we go. Uh, tonight, Keith and I are only going to disagree on fights featuring Chinese fighters. As we are done with those now, you can turn off the program. Actually, don't do that. That brings us to the Bantamweight division. And depending on whose rankings you're looking at, Maybe the only uh, top 10 fight on the card other than the main event. It is Panny Kianzad versus Raquel Pennington. Uh, Kianzad, the 29-year-old uh, Persian Swede fighting out of Denmark, believe I got all that right, is 15-5 and five overall. She is 4-2 uh, and two in the UFC since joining out of uh, 
season 28 of The Ultimate Fighter. She's 4-1 and one within the Bantamweight division, and she is currently on a four-fight winning streak over Jessica Rose Clark, Betch Cohea, Sajara Eubanks, and most recently, Alexis Davis, whom she beat by unanimous decision at UFC 263 back in June. She is taking on Pennington. The 33-year-old Coloradan is 11-8 overall. She is 8-5 since joining the UFC out of season 18 of The Ultimate Fighter, of which she made the semifinals. Uh, she fought most recently last June, taking a unanimous decision over Marion Renault. Previous to that, she had lost a unanimous decision to Holly Holm uh, back in January of 2020. Pennington, uh, despite being the less active fighter and Kianzad being the one on the win streak, uh, Pennington is the slight favorite. She's minus 130, where you can get Kianzad around plus 110 as the slight underdog. Uh, Keith, who do you like in this one? Well, I, I like that you mentioned about having, you know, ranked fighters that this is one of the fights that if you, why have rankings if you're not going to put them high in the card? You know, like you're 15 fights and they, they can't even get on the main card. Um, anyways, uh, as far as who's going to win, uh, I'm intrigued by this. Not, um, let me say that. I, I'll get to my predictions soon, but so I'll start with Kianzad. As you mentioned, Kianzad is on a really nice streak right now. Four wins in a row against good quality opponents. Uh, Alexis Davis in her last fight, who, you know, say what you want about Alexis Davis. That's a veteran who can is always in a fight. Like she's always, even if she loses, she's got to make it bloody. She's going to make it, she got to put herself in the best position to get a win. Uh, Sajari Eubanks, obviously very inconsistent, but still a good win. Bech Coher, another girl who's very consistent, but girl full for the title. And, and Jessica Rose Clark, who, who's, uh, you know, a tough veteran. So four wins in a row, like we got to start looking at this girl. She's very big for the weight class, former Bantamweight. And her output, like for a girl who dropped down in weight, uh, I'm sorry, a former featherweight who was down at Bantamweight, like she's bigger Bantamweight, is she high volume, good tight boxing, stalking move forward, pretty fast. Plus, I'd say plus power. Um, she stays compact, busy jab. Uh, everything comes off that jab. Adds in low kicks and at the end of her combinations. Has some holes defensively. She's very hittable. She kind of keeps her head in the center line. Uh, and, but she just wants to out out you know outwork her opponent and just stay busier um but she's physically strong like she uses her strength well in the clinch that's actually where i think this fight's gonna spend a lot of time in uh but it still has some holes in her take on defense weaker take defense struggles to get back up she's been taking you know she got taken down by um a lot of fighters in the ufc move over to pennington pennington you know what you like she's a finished product. Like you know what you got with Raquel Pennington. She's gonna be flat footed. She's gonna be slow, uh, but she's gonna stay tight. Everything's gonna be in tight. Her boxing's gonna be tight. She's gonna blitz into the pocket with power shots. Uh, she could throw a lot of left hands. Something that Michael Bisman pointed out in her in her last fight. She leads everything. It'll either be a lead left hook, uh, the left jab. Just everything she really works at that left. One of her best strikes is. She over-exaggerates her dip. She dips to the right and then throws a left over the top. It's something that Roy Jones, in like Roy Jones Prime, like when I was really big into boxing, that's something that Roy Jones would do because they dip so much that you think they're going, they're going to like a body strike or something, and they come all the way to the other side with a left hand. That's something that she does really well. Um, probably her best strike. Another thing that stands out to me, though, is how durable she is. Like 
take away the Amanda Nunes where Amanda Nunes beat the brakes off of her. She's very durable. She's got to get hit. She's got to get beat up, but she's still like she's mentally strong enough to stay in the fight, uh, make it ugly, uh, and do what she does. And that's just being a very physically strong woman who knows how to use her strength, gets to the clinch, tires her opponents out, battles in clinch. I'm talking chest to chest against the cage, knees, elbows, constantly working. Even when she's getting reversed, she's just being annoying in the clinch. Um, hard to take down, like going back to the Mary Renault fight when Mary Renault was trying to take her down. She was whizzering. She was, even when she got hit, taken down, she bounced right back up. And she's an underrated offensive grappler. She can get some takedowns. You go back to the Jessica Andrade, but I'm going way back, but like beautiful submission on Jessica Andrade in a, in, in a scramble. And she's a builder. Like it, she's not going to look great in the first round. She's looking slow. It's going to look like, uh, you know, she's washed up, and then she's going to just battle back in the second and third round. So as far as prediction goes, I'm bored with Raquel Pennington. Uh, uh, I like watching Penny Kinzad. Like, I, she's very entertaining. Like, I like her. I, I, I don't root for a fighter, but for the outcome of the UFC, it would be good for, if Penny Kinzad wins. I really wanted to pick a big passing of the torch moment. However, I just know what Pennington's going to do. And she's she's smart. She's intelligent. She's going to make it ugly. She's going to find a way to grind. And she's going to tire Kianzad out and win ugly fights where we do in the recap show. This is the fight we buzz through over. The fight we kind of like forget. Like, oh, yeah, when we're, when we're looking down the list of fights, like, oh, yeah, this fight happened. And she's going to just win the latter rounds and win a very Raquel Pennington type decision. I can totally feel that happening exactly as you lay it out. I can see it in my mind and I can't believe I'm going to pick the other way, but because you're right about everything you're, you're right about uh, Pennington being a builder. Like obviously the, the toughest nails thing is built. Like, I mean, she already was for anybody paying attention, but that part of her legacy, her legend, was cemented in the Nunes fight war. Yeah, there was a TKO in the fifth round, but that thing could have been stopped in the third. You know, to the point <laughs> that, that to the point where at the weigh-ins. <laughs> yeah, like, it, <laughs> like I mean, that, that fight was a war crime, and so much of the conversation afterwards focused on you know whether her corner should have thrown in the towel, whether uh, Mark Goddard should have stopped the fight. You know, almost to the point that it it detracted from Nunez' dominance and uh, Pennington's toughness. You know what you're getting with her, but in terms of being a builder, I mean, her win over Irene Aldana, like that, like what what a great performance by her. Loses the first round, fights off all like uh, a, a bunch of takedowns in the second, and on the third, like actually is like winning the fight on the ground. Takes a you know a, a split decision from Aldana. I'm a little concerned with Pennington just being 33, having been in some of the wars she's been in, having been gone for over a year, not sure exactly what we're going to get out of her. I mean, she's never really traded on plus athleticism to, to get her thing done. I mean, as you pointed out, she's physically strong, but you know, she's not a fast twitch freak, you know, like she, she's not like Uriah Hall or something. Uh, for Kian's out to win this, and I'm always nervous when I realize that my prediction is calling for something that I've never seen before to happen. But I had written Panny Kian's out off like two years ago. Uh, you know, after after the the Julia Viola fight where she'd lost to Chasson at the tough finale, 
you know, then come back to the UFC, lost to Avila. I was like, okay, she's probably not a future top 10 fighter in either of these weight classes. Like, I thought she was better at Bant, probably better at Bantamweight than Featherweight, but eh, not a top 10 fighter at either. I've been proven wrong. I mean, she's won four straight fights in a row, and all the women she's beat, they have some component of Pennington's game. You know, like, Sajara Eubanks, like, you know, she's short and stocky, but she is a physically strong bull of a fighter at, I, at you know, at Bantamweight as, as well as Flyweight. Uh, Betch Cohea, you know, a, a sharp boxer for that division. Alexis Davis has some of that just kind of guttiness and toughness and builder quality that Pennington does. And Kianzad's beaten all of them. The question now is whether she can, like, beat them when they, like, form into Voltron, and it's Pennington who has all those qualities, plus a lot more high-level experience. Uh, you know, Pennington, she's 11 and 8, but it's because she's been fighting the best women in the world, like, almost from her almost from her debut. You know, she, it's just a sign of how uh, bare the cupboard was for some of those divisions, you know, within the last 10 years that, you know, they're just throwing you in against the Sarah Kaufmans of the world in like your second and third fight. Uh, yeah, like everything in me screams that you're right, but I am calling for Kienza to kind of turn a corner here, win her fifth straight. This is the kind of name that if she can beat her in uncontroversial fashion, it's it's a, a name that you can build a title challenge resume off of, you know, you, you know, you beat a former title challenger that everybody remembers, but uh, give me Kianza by decision. Uh, it'll be a pretty exciting fight. Maybe not as exciting as all of her fights, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm calling for, uh, for Kianza to get it done and uh, it'll be uh, up, up and away from here. Kianza by yeah. decision. And that's a division that needs contenders. Desperately. Like she, she gets this I mean, win. Like she can be well, you said it's better for the UFC if she wins, dude. Pennington could could win a million fights in a row, and your mom would still be ahead of her for a title <laughs> challenge at Amanda Nunes. Like, yeah, they they really want Kianzad to win. But why are you doubt my mom's skills? I'm not doubting your mom's skills. I'm sure <laughs> she has every much as a, a chance, you, the same chance to beat Nunes as Pennington does. Are you saying Raquel Pennington could beat my mom in a fight? I'd have to see it. <laughs> <laughs> The feature prelim at UFC Vegas 37 is a light heavyweight contest between Mike Slow Rodriguez and Tafan Nchukwi. Rodriguez, the 32-year-old Boston native, is 11-6 with one no contest overall. He is 2-4 with one no contest in the UFC and has lost two in a row. Uh, lost to Ed Herman by third-round submission last September at UFC Fight Night Watterson versus Hill. Though, if you remember, that fight was tinged with a certain amount of controversy. But coming back from that, uh, he was submitted again, this time by Danilo Marquez. Uh, choked all the way to sleep in February at UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Volkov. Uh, he's taking on Nchukwi, the 26-year-old Cameroonian by way of Maryland, is 5-1 and one overall. He's 1-1 one and one since joining the UFC out of the 2020 Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, after winning on the show last September, he debuted in December, took a unanimous decision over Jamie Pickett, then came back this May at UFC on ESPN, Rodriguez versus Watterson, and lost a majority decision to Yun Yong Park. Uh, odds on this one, fairly close, but Nchukwi is the slight favorite. He's minus 125. You can get Rodriguez at plus 105. Keith, it's a Boston guy. It's a Joe Lozon disciple. Is New England going to rise up and pull off the slight upset, or uh, is it is it Cameroon laying the hammer down? Well, we're going to claim both of them because Nchukwi has fought in, like, 
CES and stuff. So we're going to claim him too, even though he's, you know, <laughs> New England by way of Africa. Uh, and Chukwe, it's funny because he's fought heavyweight, light heavyweight, middleweight. Now he's back up to light heavyweight. He was short for middleweight. So he's really short for light heavyweight. Um, I said this last time. His physique reminds me of his former opponent, William Knight, where they both, all of them kind of keep bouncing around, but like shorter, but more wide than tall, more yeah. uh, horizontal than vertical. Uh, big frame, big chest, and he's got big clubs. He just crushing power, throws hammers. If you if he connects, he hurts you. Um, athletic for his physique, his stature. Uh, he will throw some spinning attacks in. He has a high a sneak high. He's like a Derek Lewis type high kick where you look at the guy and you're like, no way that guy can throw a high kick. And then all of a sudden, like, he just kicked me in the face. <laughs> like, how, <laughs> like, how's that guy? I, I, I don't think he could touch his toes. Never mind, like, throw it up at, at my head. Uh, he, I like his clinch striking. He does really well to just use his muscle and frame and, and unload and just kind of create space in those nasty places. Um, can just muscle you against the cage. Solid takedown defense. Uh, but in his last fight, uh, he didn't show that. Like, it was his strength before was his takedown defense. But Jung Ho Park was able to take him down and, and hold him down. And I think that was from – we kept saying that he looks like a guy that will gas out, but we haven't seen it. And he's actually had fights where he's showed really good output despite looking like he's going to gas out. And then in the last, like, his last fight was the fight. And, and we showed a little bit of signs in the Jamie Pick fight, but especially the last fight where you saw it, like, wow, he hit the wall. And it was a completely different, which is probably why he's moving up. Now, Mike Rodriguez, he's the complete opposite. Like, I've said it, I've seen him a million times in person. How he makes light heavyweight is shocking me. He looks like, he looks like an NBA player walking in, like, six foot, five whatever he is long arms long legs southpaw his his boxing just throwing punches is is his weakness actually he's not a strong puncher um he tends to throw one strike at a time um i do like that he works the body he doesn't just head hunt but he's a good kickboxer a lot of kicks knees up the middle crushing kicks to the body um i should say more of a good muay thai striker because he's also like a strong clinch game because of his height. He uses that to uh, throw some knees easily, throw some elbows. Uh, he has a, I said this last time, I'll say it again. He has a Travis Brown type defense where he wants to like, you go after takedown, he wants to push your head down and just kind of land elbows. Uh, and that works against some people. It didn't work against going way back to like Devin Clark and stuff where they take it down over and over again. Uh, he, yeah, it was Devin Clark, right? Mm-hmm. Before, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, all right. I think I was mixing up my wrestlers for a second. Um, but he has no offensive wrestling. You're not going to see that. Um, his defense wrestling, as I mentioned, like Devin Clack, going back to uh, Ed Herman, is bad. Uh, his sub-defense is bad. Now, I, I said this again. I'm going to – last time I'm bring it up again. Like, yeah, Ed Herman, he, he got screwed against Ed Herman. It should have been a knockout for him. But that doesn't excuse that, in fact, that he got submitted by 40-year-old Ed Herman, who's – beyond his last leg and he got come off his back and then ultimately we've seen him get knocked out and i don't trust his chin so going into my prediction this should be mike rodriguez's fight like he's like a half a foot taller than him a half a foot reach you know maybe 
Like he he's got the height and reach by massive. He's got a huge size advantage, but he's not gonna win. Like Inchuki's gonna outwork him. He's gonna get, get in the clinch and beat him up. And like when I saw him lose to Ed Herman, I pretty much just was like, yeah, I'm not gonna take Mike Rodriguez. So I'm gonna go against New England again and go with our adopted son instead of our actual son. <laughs> and uh, was it like uh, Cobra Kai? I'm gonna, you know, you you, you take. Uh, Johnny training the the one kid over his son. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna go with the adopted one. Give me Enchukwe. Uh, I'm you know I'm gonna say he knocks him out. I'm gonna say Enchukwe by first round knockout. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. There are a lot of ways that Mike Rodriguez could win this. The size advantage should be massive. Uh, you know, I don't know if his nickname Slow like refers to like his actual like physical like hand and foot speed. You know, I was I was disturbed. It was fairly recently that I learned that Luke Barnett, like Big Slow, like you remember the huge British light heavyweight that Big Slow referred to his his mind, not his body, which is actually even worse. I'm like, dude, you let them just call you stupid for your entire career. But I'm pretty sure that in the case of Mike Rodriguez, it it refers to, you know, just kind of his his relaxed kind of languid approach in in the in the cage. Uh, But, yeah, it comes down for me to. Isn't Chukwe going to land clean a clean shot to his head at some point in the first two rounds of this fight? Yeah, he probably is. And what's going to happen? It's either Rodriguez is just going to be flatlined, or it's going to start the ball rolling downhill. Uh, and we're not even going to need to worry about the the third round where Chukwe has you know definitely shown himself to be uh, vulnerable. Like the Junyong Park fight was a majority decision. And scorecards were all over the place because there was a point taken, and then the final, but the, the last round was a clear 10-8 round for Park. But Park thrashed him in that third round. And certainly if both these guys are standing and not otherwise compromised in the third round, Rodriguez probably gonna probably gonna knock him out. But I don't think it gets there. Uh give me uh Tafan and Chukwi by second round TKO. And that's it. That is the Preview for the nine fight prelims of UFC Fight Night 192, Smith versus Span. Uh, Keith and I are breaking this into two parts, uh, not to get twice as many clicks out of you. Believe me, that is not what our YouTube page is there for. It's because this is such a long card and because some life sometimes intervenes and we wanted to have something to go up on Thursday. So if you're watching this, it's at least Thursday. And then the main card preview will be up Friday with Tom Feely's excellent text preview uh, of, the, of the entire card. So... Uh, For Keith, I'm Ben. Thank you for listening. We'll check you out on Friday.